the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know, you really could spend a month of Sundays here in Revelation chapter 13. There is just so much information here and so much to consider and meditate upon. Who is the dragon? Who is the beast? And why are they there? For how long? What do they look like? What will they do? All of these questions come to the forefront as we continue our survey of Revelation here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. We have an awful lot of ground to cover today. Welcome. This is Abounding Grace. We are in Revelation chapter 13 as we continue our look at the dragon and the beast found here in this amazing passage of Scripture. We're exploring answers to a variety of questions that come up when we address these two creatures. We invite you to spend time with us today as we explore God's Word together. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, here's Pastor Gary Wagner and this edition of Abounding Grace. The direction of history is twofold in its historical manifestation. Apostate man moves towards establishing a radically humanistic social order in which God is abolished and man in his own law and is his own law and lawgiver. Apostate man works to create a paradise on earth without God, without law, morality. The morality of humanism is that man is his own law and that no moral law beyond man can govern man. On the other hand, regenerate man works to reestablish the law order of God and to manifest the kingdom of God in its every meaning, unquote. Beloved, history is thus intention, intention, between those two warring forces. But the tension is more than the natural historical tension. There is also the tension which apostate man inescapably feels by virtue of his rebellion against his sovereign, the triune God. There is the tension in what is called epistemological self-consciousness. In other words... As apostate man comes to know himself and his implications more fully. And there is always the tension of failure. As apostate man finds that his every effort is frustrated and works towards his own confounding. In Revelation 13, the nature of the opposition to Christ and his church and to Christ and his law order is given to us in greater clarity. A beast rises out of the sea, that is, out of the unbelieving world, having seven heads and seven horns, whose horns rather than his heads are crowned, and upon whose heads are names of blasphemy. The fact that the horns rather than the heads are crowned 
signifies that in the world, power is the source of authority and sovereignty. And men give obedience not to legitimate leadership, but to power as such. In other words, might is what makes right. And might is worshipped and obeyed in its illusion. The names of blasphemy indicate that human governments arrogate or take for themselves the authority and sovereignty which properly belongs to God alone. This is true not only of kings and dictators, but of democracies also, with their blasphemous doctrine, vox populi, vox dei, the voice of the people is the voice of God. Majorities are thereby equated with righteousness. An appeal beyond the government and its courts is rendered null and void. God has spoken through his approved voice, the government, the beast, the state. The beast, a symbol of human government and empire of anti-Christian states and cultures generally represented the Roman Empire of St. John's Day and all other anti-Christian orders. The beast represents the totality of all such empires in the ancient world and all to come. Its seven hens and ten horns emphasize totality. It is in this image, it is concentrated the opposition to God by apostate man. This opposition, more diffused in antiquity, becomes more self conscious and more concentrated as history progresses. The world is clearly Satan's Messiah. Man is man's own and only Savior for humanism. The humanist therefore delights in the centralization of power into the hands of human governments because this is man's hope. The aspirations of apostate culture are his glory and hope. The humanist holds to the seemingly limitless possibilities of human culture and to the sovereignty of man's rule. And he declares quite proudly, who is like unto the beast who was able to make war with him. But power is given to him. Satan is defeated and knows he is defeated, but he hates God and his church so much. He continues his stupid war against them. He's given power for 42 months to speak much blasphemies. A short period of time appointed to him. But he has no power to determine that time for himself. Power is given to him, moreover, to attack not only the saints and to overcome them. Power over all kindreds and tongues and nations, but also to attack God with blasphemy and insult. Thus, there is a seeming outward victory of humanism over Christianity. But the reality of the situation we saw in verses 8 through 10, those who have not been saved by the lamb slain from the foundation of the world worship 
the beast. They seek salvation in human culture by statist action and make the very source of their damnation their hope of salvation. But to the suffering saints comes the word, If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. And here is the patience and the faith of the saints. The absolute and final court of the Almighty renders a full and just judgment to the aspirations of human culture and to the works of apostate man. They cannot escape, and they shall pay to the last penny. Now we are confronted with another beast, verse 11. And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Does that remind you of anything like, for instance, Matthew 7:15? Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So here you have a beast that looks like it's nice and trustworthy, lamb-like, but he speaks as a dragon. And how does a dragon speak? With deception and deceit. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence. And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth. Now those who, not those who dwell in heaven, beloved, but he deceives those who dwell on earth because of the signs which it was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and had come to life. So now we have a beast coming out of the land of Israel, because the word earth there can be just as easily translated land and refer to the land of Palestine. And he looked like a lamb on the surface, but he really spoke as a dragon. In fact, he is the one who had authority over the first beast. And he encourages all the earth and all the dwellers on earth to worship this tyrannical civil magistrate whose fatal wound was healed. So here you have, just as you had tyrannical Rome and the beast from the sea, now you have a civil religion, an anti-Christian civil religion that supports the beast and encourages people to worship the beast. In the first century, this can be applied to Jerusalem and the apostate Jews because they did everything they could to support, at least for a while, Rome in its persecution of the church and Christ. Remember, they took Jesus to the Roman authorities to try him and execute him. But the point is, here is a civil religion, an apostate church, a false prophet that has as its purpose 
to get the people in Rome to worship the beast, to worship the state, to do what the beast tells them to do, to submit themselves to it. And we have people like that today all around us, even in the church. And he exercises the authority of the first beast in his presence. He makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. And he performs great signs. Now, the word sign in the New Testament is the word for miracle. So that, even, that, that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth. Because of the signs, because of the so-called miracles that were given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and had come to life. So he was wounded, but he was still exerting great influence in the persecution of Christians. Now, what does all this have reference to? Well, we know that throughout the history of mankind, the enemies of God have been able to perform counterfeit miracles. But understand, as some will tell you, this is not the Antichrist who is performing miracles. There is no such thing as the Antichrist. The only time the word the Antichrist is used in the Bible is in 1st and 2nd John. And it says there in the first century, there are many Antichrists in the world. And an Antichrist is anyone who denies the incarnation of God in Jesus. So there is no one great Antichrist at the end of time. There is not the Antichrist. We're talking about Rome. We're talking about a civil religion. Caesar worship, for instance. And when we studied Revelation 2 and 3, I said that the center of Caesar worship was in Asia Minor. Well, what else is in Asia Minor? The seven churches to whom the book of Revelation was written. That is where Caesar worship was the most popular. And here it says that the Caesar worship, the apostate civil religion that included apostate Judaism at that time, was able to deceive people by performing counterfeit miracles. Can you remember one of the very first counter? that miracles ever performed in scripture? It was when Moses stood before the Pharaoh and threw down his rod and it became a snake. And then if you remember, the magicians of Egypt were able to throw down something like a wand and it became a snake. But then Moses' snake ate their snake. So there you have one inexplicable example of satanic power of magicians being able to turn sticks into snakes. And throughout the history of the world, we have seen magicians, intelligent people, who are able to deceive. Remember, though, the key word here is deceive. This stuff isn't real. They aren't real miracles. 
They don't confirm divine revelation. This is all a deception. And as a result, whatever these counterfeit miracles were, which were throughout the Middle Ages, they were not divine. The Roman Catholic Church lists one counterfeit miracle after another. Pentecostalism lists one counterfeit miracle after another. They are not real. Most of the time, they can be clearly explained. And if you want the best book I know of on this subject, it was written in the early part of the 20th century called Counterfeit Miracles by Benjamin Warfield. And he goes through all of the Roman Catholic claims, all of the Pentecostal claims up to that point in time, and shows just how counterfeit they truly were so don't let this throw you don't let yourself think that this civil religion and the false prophets of the civil religion had any real miraculous power that was a threat to the miraculous power of God it was all a deception verse 13 some way they could make it appear as if fire came down out of heaven in the presence of men. And then in verse 14, and he deceives, it is all fake, those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and had come to life. So what was this image? Nero was so in love with himself that he had a 125-foot-high image of himself built in Rome. And there was given to him, to this civil religion, these false prophets, these Caesar worshipers, these apostate Jews, and so many others, to give breath to the image of the beast. So somehow, they even made it appear as if the image itself was speaking. But we know it didn't because, as we're told, it was all a deception. It wasn't real. But somehow he appeared to speak. That the image of the beast might even speak and cause many as do not worship the beast to be killed. Why? Why was this beast, along with this civil religion, so anxious to kill those who didn't worship this image of the beast? It was because they worshiped Jesus. And and why was that so bad? Because the biggest threat to any totalitarian regime that thinks it is God are those who know it is not God. And the worshipers of the beast can't tolerate their existence. So I ask you, do you now understand why Governor Newsom has laid out such stringent rules for the church to reopen? He hates the church. He's part of the beast. And this civil religion, so motivated by Satan, causes all the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free man and the slave, to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one, no one, shall be able to buy or sell 
except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. So here we have apostate religion, Caesar worshipers, apostate Judaism, civil religions based upon something other than Christ. And we have this today. Don't think our schools and our political institutions are religionless. No one has ever committed a religionless act. It is impossible to commit a religionless act. Every thought, every act is motivated by some religious principle. It may be Christian. It may be anti-Christian. But there is no such thing as a religionless act. And we live in a culture that is very religious. We have a national religion, and it demands the toleration of all religious viewpoints, except for one, and that is Bible-believing Christianity. That view will not be tolerated. Even the Republican Party will not tolerate unflinching Christian viewpoints. This culture supports a religion that is tolerant of every other religion except those who shall not bow to Caesar. And for them, that religion has to go. By the way, you see that the nature and the goals and characteristics of an apostate church today supporting an apostate state are still the same as they were back in John's day. Today, much of the church is still the servant of the state. The church and the state together have a messianic complex. One of the things you see in this chapter is the state is an imitation of Christ, or at least they try to be. Both an apostate state and an apostate church are intolerant of biblical religion. And now, as then, the church is filled with false prophets who support homosexuality, government welfare programs, unlimited immigration, and wink at abortion if they do not just downright support it. Now, what is this mark? It says that the beast from the sea, encouraged by the beast from the land, that is tyranny plus apostate religion, work together to make sure that everyone from every class of economic life is given a mark on his right hand or on his forehead. And no one is able to carry out any commerce who does not have this mark. You can't make a living. You can't buy and sell things. Verse 17. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark or a mask. Either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Notice what this mark does. This mark is a sign of submission to status rule and to humanistic law. This is a mark that says, I worship the beast. I am for America right or wrong. I will do whatever I am told. I pledge my unqualified allegiance to the government of the United States. I will be in submission. This anti-Christian, 
humanistic political order and its mark represents apathetic acquiescence to a system that steals and kills and enslaves. In Revelation 13, verse 16, that mark is a ticket to economic prosperity. It is a sign that the civil magistrate looks upon you with blessing. But in chapter 14 of Revelation, verse 9, it says, And another angel, a third one, following them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives a mark on his forehead and upon his hand, he will drink the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full with the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So anyone who bears the mark of the beast is under the curse and the wrath of God. Then it says in chapter 16, verse 2, that this curse of God is temporal and historical as well as eternal and final. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Amen.